Well, hello, founders. Welcome to today's episode of The Gab Lab, the show that is not only dropping financial intelligence that's going to blow your mind, but it's also helping you to build your bottom line. Today's episode is championed by our friends at Community Futures Manitoba. So thanks, team, for, uh, for putting this through. And today's episode, if you haven't guessed by the title already, we are talking about equipment equipment, the costs, the capacity, and obviously the impact on the bottom line. Our guest today is sitting with us right here, Dustin Bosch. Hello, welcome to the show. Yes, Tanya, thank you for inviting me. Oh, well, I am thrilled that you're here. We go back a couple of years, I was trying to put a year on it, and um, I think it was, was it 2017, 2000, around there? Your memory's probably better than mine, but yeah, it is, I think. Um, and we uh, and we both still actually are, are actively involved with um, board members on an advisory board with a dynamic company, we won't mention any names, but to two phenomenal brothers that run a trucking company. And uh, just for everybody listening and watching, Dustin came in and uh, created some magic with respect to their numbers. These were two guys that were looking to nail their numbers and really create efficiencies with respect to their operations. And Dustin, I was blown away by the impact that you had on them and their business. And what was really so phenomenal for me watching is that these weren't major overhauls with respect to the equipment that they had. These were small, minor tweaks and adjustments that they needed to make with respect to, with respect to the equipment that they were, we were carrying and putting out there. Uh, on the road, but they had a significant impact on the bottom line. It was it was crazy to watch you at work there. So, yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, often that is the way it is. It's just some small adjustments, changes makes all the difference in the world. Beautiful. Well, thank you for being here because I know that some of those small tweaks that you'll share with our audience are uh, hopefully going to make big impact for them as they move forward here. 2021, first episode of the year, so we're getting off to a strong start. Um, just, you know, I am, I'm curious to hear your feedback on this. I know that you typically deal with companies that, uh, have major pieces of equipment, right? I was speaking to another pro the other day and they called them iron. How much iron do you have in your, in your, uh, in your warehouse? Um, but when I think about businesses that have equipment for me and, and my clients, there's construction, there's mining, there's trucking, obviously, where we first met. Um, but I think I've, you know, when I also think about it, I think about printing companies that I work with that have major pieces of equipment. I think about fabrication, uh, manufacturing. In your line of work, have you worked with some really unique industries that might not be thinking this episode's for them, but it's like, oh, no, I really do use equipment in my business. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, like, you say the word equipment and you often think of something that burns diesel, rolls on wheels or tracks, but, um, and that is a majority of what we would do. But I would say, you know, if you look into the, the, the dental industry or the medical industry, there's a, a ton of IT-based technology and um, whether it's software specific or it's hardware specific. We, we've done some of that stuff in the professional services industries like chiropractors, you know, simple things like the tables that they use or the dentist chairs that we sit in, right? Every, uh, every industry has a little bit of a former facet of equipment that they use and, 
and uh, for the most part, it's all financeable. Beautiful. Well, okay, so let's get into it because I think that now that we've broadened the scope of who's watching this episode, um, let's talk about impact on bottom line. And we had a good chuckle because when we were doing our discovery interview on what could this episode look like, uh, we had a good laugh on one of the top issues really impacting the bottom line uh, for entrepreneurs, and that was, is the equipment a need or a want? Right? And I, I definitely went into some stereotypes there with women and shoes and purses and, and men and equipment <laughs> and tools, which necessarily isn't uh, always the fairest thing. But I'm curious to hear from you, like how do we start breaking down whether that, uh, whether that new piece of equipment or a used piece of equipment is that really necessary? Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's a conversation or a look in the mirror that an entrepreneur has to have with themselves, like understanding the use of the equipment and the need for it and the timeline that it's being uh, needed for. So, because we often think, oh, we pick up a job or a project, and you know, I need that equipment because it's going to it's going to make me more money rather than renting it, but without understanding the implications of the carrying costs that can be associated with it or the borrowing costs that get rolled into financing a piece, you know, oftentimes it could make sense um, to just rent the piece rather than buy it. And, you know, that it separates that need versus want uh, paradigm. Do you find in my experience working with business owners, sometimes there is this, um, appetite or belief that um, a new piece of equipment is going to make all the difference to their business. So they want to go buy something new because they believe that that's going to fix potentially existing issues or fault lines within their existing model. Um, and so I guess, first of all, is that something that you notice that business owners are quick to go rush out and want to go buy new equipment just for the sake of buying new equipment? Absolutely. You know, it's a bit psychological in a way or emotional in a way because uh, true or companies that are focused on heavy equipment, for instance, um, they, they build a bit of a bond with their equipment because that's, that equipment is what makes them money and provides the livelihood for them. So, you know, without understanding where the, the company's, position is going or the financial health of it currently sometimes there's a thought that if I buy more equipment or new equipment specifically it's going to make me that much more money so yeah. and, you know and then in within the industry as well you know sometimes the customers that they're working for is asking these companies to bring newer equipment into the uh, fleet so that it looks better on their projects so it, absolutely and so how do you, when you're working with someone like that, that's wanting to bring in new equipment and you know, I, I should mention, and sorry, it's at the beginning of this, this episode, but we talk about your role as vice president in sales, right? With, with equipment financing specifically, but so you get a business owner that's coming to you saying, I want this new piece of equipment. This is going to make all the difference. How do you walk them through? Is there a process that you walk them through to get them to understand their current equipment utilization, like is their foundation solid? What does that process look like for you to get them to kind of see whether or not things are currently working with what they already have? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the first questions I generally ask them is, do they have this equipment in their fleet already? Okay. And, uh, you know, that will lead to a yes or no answer. And, you know, if the answer is yes, then, you know, the secondary would be, well, 
how utilized is that piece of equipment right now? You know, it, um, often it's overlooked that, you know, they could have this piece of equipment that's only being used 50% of the time, and which means it's sitting in their yard the other half of the time. Um, and they may fundamentally believe that they need a second piece in order to get more work, whereas the first piece could handle the job. Is there a number specifically that you you think about, like what is the optimal utilization? Maybe that's loaded because maybe every piece of equipment is different, every manufacturer might be different, but what number would you suggest they strive for with each piece? You know, I, I think having a piece of equipment on standby from time to time is not necessarily a bad thing because it allows them to shift from one project to the other if, if needed, but I, Generally, I've tried to look for that 80 to 85% utilization uh, on a piece of equipment before we start thinking about, is there a secondary piece that's really needed? Okay. And then the secondary piece, this is what you were alluding to, where maybe you don't need to buy new for that right. secondary piece. You're starting to get to 80, 85. Maybe it's not a whole new um, acquisition but it might be something different. So what, what options might a founder explore with respect to acquiring a new piece of equipment, do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on the type of work that they're doing. So are they looking at long-term sustainability of this piece? Like, do they have the work that would carry them for multiple years or is it project-based work? Whereas they, they've got it for a month and then they may not have it for a month or two or three later on, right? Yeah. So if they understand what type of work they're getting into, then it helps, I guess, form the decision-making process around whether or not I should rent the equipment because that it may have a higher cost up front to rent it, but because I'm only using it for a short period of time, I'm not incurring all the carry costs and expenses that go along with ownership of a piece mm -hmm. or I'll buy the piece because I know, um, you know, it's useful life is, for a longer period of time and I'm going to be able to work it for a longer period of time and I'm going to capitalize a higher gain off of it that way. Okay. So we've got renting, we've got buying. Do you, is it ever factored in um, subcontracting? Like other companies that might have that equipment with the Absolutely. labor attached to it? Yeah. 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 Um, and it's a very common method of bringing on additional capacity for a lot of companies. Like for instance, in the, construction and transportation industry we see it all the time you know there's bulge capacity that's needed at any point in time and they'll just bring on a, a third party to help them fulfill the need okay and what are your thoughts on um, I remember a, a trucking company I worked with uh, close to a decade ago it was a young guy that was starting up and uh, he had uh, he had interest um, from different uh, clients that wanted to utilize the truck and it made a night and day difference to him. So I'm curious to you as a, as a lender, if this would impact you. What he did is he actually went out and got letters of intention or expressions of interest from these potential clients that said, yes, if this, if this guy were to get this sort of truck, um, this is the business that we would be able to generate for him within this sort of term. Does that influence your decision at all as a, as a, as a lender or financer to, to be able to, to get these founders access to capital for new pieces of equipment? Yeah, absolutely. We see it very commonly in like sole proprietorships or the smaller companies that are looking to expand on their existing work program. If 
if we pro often will ask for you know a, a letter of intent or a work letter to support the work that would be carried out by the equipment they're looking to purchase. And it, it just rounds out the story that, you know, there is actually going to be revenue generated by this piece and that there's going to be a capacity to service the corresponding costs. So yeah. it, it does carry weight. Absolutely. So I love that you mentioned that Dustin, cause that is uh, the nail on the head when they can guarantee that business is coming in for that piece of uh, new equipment, then, we've established it is a need versus the want, right? So um, I think that takes care of that piece. Um, but out of curiosity, the let's talk about useful life for a little bit, because I think with a lot of business owners, there's always so much to juggle. Um, but here we have another situation where, so now they've got equipment, they're trying to figure out, okay, can they grow their business? Do they need more equipment to grow their business? But can we talk about useful life of the equipment and how far out should they start to um, think and contemplate, you know, at what point do these pieces of equipment need to be um, replaced? Yeah, it's a very good point. Every piece of equipment or every asset has a different useful life, depending, uh, largely dependent on the application it's going to be used in. Uh, for instance, forestry equipment has a shorter useful life because the application is so rough on the equipment itself that, you know, it just depreciates and, and deteriorates quicker over time. But I think, um, you know, part of the equation in thinking about useful life is what am I going to use the equipment for and, and how long am I going to use it for? Because that starts to determine whether or not an equipment buy or lease decision is uh, useful for either new equipment or used equipment. because. New equipment obviously will start off with the longest useful life that you can get because it's it's fresh, it's never been used. It uh, um, you'll be able to run it out over its course without thinking about replacement or high maintenance repair costs right away. But if you don't have the the need to run the equipment all the time or the need to um, place the equipment in the workforce as often or as, as heavily as you would uh, in certain circumstances, a used piece of equipment might make sense. So it might have some hours on it already, might be worn down a little bit already, but for what you're going to be using it for, the, the, the anticipated costs associated to it might make a lot of sense, um, especially being uh, the upfront cost on it much cheaper a lot of the times. Gotcha. And you know, a part of what I love to bring to the table when I'm talking about founders with numbers is uh, reverse engineering the numbers, right? Like starting out with the end in mind, knowing yeah. what it is that you're looking to build and then really understanding what does that, what does that runway look like, right? What are the phases of growth or the milestones um, that will get you to that end goal? Sounds like understanding that the useful life of each piece of equipment would play into that end game, right? To understand here's what we're going to need to, to pick up and, and when. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, with the clients that you've worked with, have, um, have you worked with any that are, had a really strong end game in mind and that experienced a lot of success and traction as it pertains to their equipment um, inventory in that process? Yeah, I would say uh, I definitely have. 
some of the leading, you know, I'll use a construction company, for example, some of the leading construction companies, uh, they understand the useful life of their equipment very well. So what I mean by that is they know they have a three-year project and that piece of equipment is going to be used for, you know, 2,000 hours per year. So over three years, it'll have 6,000 hours on it by the time it's done at the project. And that piece of equipment might have a useful life of 10,000 hours on it in totality. So they'll know that um, by the end of that project, they have used 60% of its useful life. And they know at that 60% mark, that's when the repairs and maintenance costs and other ancillary costs associated with the equipment start to elevate. So they just roll it out. So they're on like three-year cycles where they're bringing equipment in, they use it, they roll it out, and that minimizes their operating costs and increases their bottom line. Oh, that's huge, Dustin. So what I'm hearing there as like definitely a golden nugget is is the, I don't want to say the reverse engineering, but starting with the end in mind, right? Because I, I think at least in, in my Absolutely. work with founders, most are just kind of taking it a day as it comes, right? And hoping business is going to come in and, and trying to figure out what the dispatcher or whoever is going to do. Whereas the best practices of big business are understanding the hours and the projects projected and attached to each piece of equipment and knowing months out that they're going to have to start taking action at some point with respect to that, uh, with respect to that replacement, or like you said, the extra investment that's going to be required in on each piece, I'm assuming too, right? Absolutely. Every wow. single piece is different depending on the application, the type of equipment, like they have different useful lives overall. So yeah, they break it down per piece. Wow. Huge. And so last piece, just so everybody listening and watching, just so you know, we're going to turn it over to another segment here in a minute, which is all about the, the cost, really understanding the true cost of each piece of equipment because it's not <laughs> capital expenditure on the piece of equipment itself. But um, I'm curious, Dustin, have you, have you noticed, is there software that businesses are using to really be able to track the inventory and the expenses in, or is it really up to a, a CFO? Like how is all of this getting tracked efficiently within these organizations that you've been working with? There definitely is. And I, I, I don't know the names of the software it could be an advocate for them, but I do know that leading companies have good, uh, asset management software in place that tracks their fleet when repairs have been done and gets logged. Uh, the, the hours are being tracked so that they know at any point in time they can go into the system and say, hey, you know, if I'm budgeting for asset replacement in 2021, we know that these, you know, 10 pieces of equipment are, are coming up to be due or will be due in the fiscal year. Beautiful. So asset management software is what a founder should be Googling out there to get there, to get some ideas as to what, what would better help them in this situation. Yeah, and, and uh, there's, there's fleet maintenance software as well that's okay. probably one and the same or tied into that. Awesome. All right, so we're going to take a brief intermission. This was all about needs versus wants. Understanding, don't go run out and buy a new piece of equipment because you think it's going to solve all the problems or it's nice to have. Um, and so just a reminder to, uh, to subscribe uh, so that you can catch all the episodes that are coming out. We're going to be dropping one episode every week. And we're going to catch you in the next segment of this episode where we're going to get into really calculating the true costs on each piece of equipment. So thanks for watching and we will see you soon.
All right, founders, welcome back. We are here for segment two. Uh, joining us today, Nail the Numbers Pro, Dustin Bosch, who is also the Vice President of Sales for Canadian Equipment Financing. And this segment, uh, we're going to keep it short and sweet, but uh, there's definitely some numbers to be crunched if you are looking to either purchase new equipment, because I know across the board right now, I've been seeing lots of different things when it comes to business owners through COVID. There are some that are having a hard time keeping up with demand, and there are others that are really just looking to get extremely lean, extremely mean, extremely efficient uh, with respect to uh, the equipment and the fleet that they, they currently have. So, like every purchase, there are hidden costs that we don't always take into consideration. And Dustin, I'm hoping that um, in this segment, you can shed some light on what we really should be looking at, what founders should be looking at when they're looking to, um, you know, to not only assess whether to buy a new piece of equipment or not, but really, again, creating efficiencies with the equipment that they have. Um, so I know we wanted to talk a little bit about amortization depreciation, and maybe we can jump to that in a moment, but what are some of the miscellaneous costs that you are finding founders really have their blinders on uh, when it comes to, ah, oh, I never even thought about that. Right up, right up front, you know, whether they're buying new equipment or used equipment, there's always some modifications or changes that are needed to fit the application that they're doing. Um, I, I've just found that uh, entrepreneurs will have a budget in mind. They say, okay, $100,000 is the piece of equipment that I want to buy, but they're forgetting about the fifteen dollars to $20,000 of extras that they're going to have to add on to the excavator for guarding or the truck uh, wet kit so that it can pull a trailer or something like that, right? And um, They often get overlooked, but they add up quick. No doubt. I'm thinking in my experience, I see things like licensing for each piece of equipment, insurance, maintenance, tires, uh, any sort of training that goes along with it, the travel that goes along with the training sometimes, depending on Absolutely. where the manufacturer is. Um, any other, any like oddball scenarios that have come up for you that just kind of threw an entrepreneur out of left field? Yeah, I, I mean, I, you've covered a lot of them, all that, all those ancillary costs. Are, um, they're needed. You can't get around it. You know, uh, uh, commercial vehicle inspections are another little thing that pop up from time to time. And then there's all the you know the hidden repairs that you were never aware of that you have to have to do in order to get the vehicle on the road, for instance. Um, the the big thing uh, that's often overlooked as well is what downtime can create with equipment. It's probably a conversation <laughs> leading down a different path, but yeah. Um, Maybe expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by the downtime created by each piece of equipment? Well, we often think of like the inherent costs that we have to pay out to do something to get that equipment. So we've covered a lot of them here just over the last minute or so. But um, it's a different thing when the equipment's running and then all of a sudden it breaks down and now you're losing revenue on a daily basis because um, you're waiting for a part to come in or a mechanic to come out and fix it. So um, often the bigger cost associated to owning equipment is the potential downtime that it can create for you. Um, it's hard to quantify that number up front, but I know dealing with customers and clients over the years, 
uh, the downtime itself can often create a big enough issue that it would have been better for them to just rent the equipment rather than own it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Dustin, I think that's huge. I think that's really important for founders to hear. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, do you think there would be value when they're looking to purchase a piece of equipment? Is that something that you think a manufacturer might be able to answer just with respect to a high level benchmark? You know, here's what we've seen in the past from our clients. I'm trying to figure out where they'd get that info from. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think a lot of, you know, individuals in the industry understand that relatively well because, um, you know, for instance, they look at the parts and service network dealer that a dealer would have, right? Caterpillar equipment is number one in, in heavy construction for a reason because not only has it carried a good brand, for instance, uh, through the years and good resale value on the back end, but if something goes wrong with their equipment, they're generally fairly quick to respond because they have a network of, of mechanics and, or field mechanics and out there that can respond to it quickly. So, you know, looking to purchase a piece of equipment, sometimes that has a big implication on whether I buy an off-brand unit or, or an in-brand one is what we would call it. Beautiful. Well, I think, you know, what you've really, uh, what you've really stumbled onto here, I think, is the, the conversation or the planning process. A lot of founders of potentially smaller based businesses, right, those that are, you know, up to five, 20 million that maybe aren't thinking about this. When everything's good, everybody's kind of resting easy, but this might be the time to actually start figuring out what is your backup plan, right, to, to kind of mitigate that downtime if, uh, if it should come up so you can move into yeah. plan B right away. So that's yep. huge. Thanks for sharing that because I wouldn't have even thought to, to calculate that downtime on each piece of equipment. So super important. Um, one question that I oftentimes get from founders is uh, amortization costs. Mm. They see it on their statements and they don't see the money going anywhere, but they see this write off. Uh, you know, hopefully they're looking every month, but let's just say at year end when they're looking at their notice to readers and they're seeing this, you know, this huge expense of amortization or depreciation on their asset. Can you speak a little bit to that and, and the, the impact of that to them as a, as a founder? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a bit of a black hole for sure for, for a lot of founders and entrepreneurs because it's, it's what we call a non-cash item. It's an accounting adjustment, if you will. It, it's, not, it's never money that they see leave the company. So they're like, well, why is it shown as an expense on my uh, income statement? And, and what it is, is it, it's just uh, an accounting adjustment to sh offset the depreciation of the asset that's shown on the balance sheets. So amortization only comes into play if you've purchased equipment or an asset, right? And that asset is then recorded on the balance sheet as such. And like every asset, they depreciate over time and they have to account for that. So every asset will have maybe a different depreciation rate. So how quickly it gets depreciated, but um, yeah, they, they have to account for it. They have to adjust for it. And that's why they see it. And, and it always gets basically shown at year end, not throughout the, the year. And so it's, it's my understanding that we've got, there's typically two forms of, of depreciation, right? That accountants can use. And, and I think, this to me, or at least in you know my experience, this is where I like to ask the founder again. You know, what is your end game in this, and when are you looking to get out? Because one, I believe, accelerates the depreciation rate, right? So you're paying less 
tax or less taxes, it, it's impacting your tax um, uh, consequences at the end of those years as the depreciation is accelerated, but it's giving you less right. of a value of that asset um, within a, a shorter window, right? So um, yeah. anything, have you, do you have any yeah, I, with that or any questions that you think founders should be asking? Well, you know what, I've often found that, again, a lot of it comes down to the application and use of the equipment. So like in the forestry industry, if it's the application being tougher and if it's being used a lot, then the uh, they depreciate the asset fairly rapidly to keep up with the devaluating uh, uh, value of the equipment itself, right? right? But you're right. So depreciation is an expense. It reduces your net income or your bottom line, and that's what tax is calculated off of. So I think understanding the useful life of the equipment and how long you're actually going to keep it within your fleet will help you determine with your accountant what is the appropriate depreciation rate because there's a fine line there obviously about not wanting to pay tax if you don't have to but also keeping the equity on the balance sheet so that it looks like or it is you're building you know, a net worth within your company, like you would any other, or like you would try with any other investment. Yeah, yeah, the value of it. Um, and so when, yeah. as you're talking here, I was just thinking about, you know, when we opened up this episode, we were talking about all the different companies that, um, or industries that have equipment, I'm thinking professional services right off the top. And um, there's useful life value of the equipment. And then what came to mind for me is also technology. Right. And, and so with some of these professional services, a, a piece of equipment with technology, you could use it for 20 years, but the, the technology might just become so limited within three that, you know, understanding that you'd probably want to replace it or do an upgrade within that within that time. Uh, frame taking that. Absolutely. You know, we, we see that with uh, municipal finance a lot. They, um, for instance, the, the telephone systems and, and the back end IT infrastructure like the technology is changing so rapidly that it would it never makes sense anymore to hold that stuff for 10 years when in three to four it's becoming more obsolete and there's new stuff coming in all the time so to try to carry it that long and then obviously fight with the issues that you would need to uh with your their it departments to try to keep it salvaged and up to speed for the growth or whatever that they're trying to handle it it, it becomes a black hole it's, or a rabbit hole for that matter. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point too. I mean, we're, we're putting out lots of suggestions there for everybody listening to this. And um, I know that sometimes it can feel overwhelming with respect to everything that you need to do. And I know we're just talking about equipment here right now. I know one of the best practices that I love to implement with founders is your, you know, financially fierce Fridays where you sit down and at least for an hour that day, you just, you, you know, you, you start looking and drilling down into the numbers and, you know, just create efficiencies, right? It's not about perfection. It's just about progress. Just take it a step at a time and do something as it, yeah. uh, as it pertains to your numbers there. So what I'm hearing um, as takeaways from this, Dustin, is get really clear on all of the costs that get attached to each piece of equipment and um, 
do do we want to talk at all about the the return on investment? I guess I know you had mentioned that's not something necessarily lenders look for, uh, but I think for founders, you you do want to know that you know is that piece of equipment actually making you money? So taking a look at the revenue that you're generating from that piece of equipment, and then not only the costs on the equipment, but I would factor in all the costs attached to that piece of equipment too, including your interest and all those other good things that we that we talked about. So um, any takeaways on this one, Dustin? What I'm hearing is just know the costs, calculate it out, speak to the accountant about amortization, depreciation, getting the accountant to understand or walk you through the method that they've used and the impact that that's gonna have um, in your business, short-term, long-term, any other key messages that you want to leave founders with? Well, I, you know, it's, it's a decision about how they use their cash at the end of the day, right? So, like, I think decisions like that always have to be rooted in understanding the cost, to your point, Tanya. But it's, it's, it's a weighing of options. So, like, if I use my cash to buy equipment, is that going to return as good or better of an investment for me. So as like return more cash to me as if I were to use my cash elsewhere in the operation. So forego the equipment purchase and put it into HR or, you know, operational improvements within the manufacturing shop or something like that. Right. So I think that's the decision that always needs to be weighed is um, the equipment might not be the right piece. It, you know, it may return, you know, 50 cents on the dollar where I could do something else that would return, you know, a dollar 20 on my dollar. Right. Yeah. I think that's huge, Dustin. I think for everybody listening here, this is where you go back to the first episode too, and you understand the, you know, the, the utilization and you know, what, what is happening with this piece of equipment? Are you making money on it? And are there alternative ways that you could make money on it? Do you lease it out? Right. And, and That's not right. have to incur all of those expenses and, or, um, you know, bring in a subcontractor to do that work where you just get a lift on the work that they do and not yeah. have all of those costs. So thanks for that, Dustin. Um, for people that are listening and watching again, if you look in the show notes below, you're going to find uh, some tools that you can download. One is an equipment cost calculator. It puts in high level, some of the extra costs that we talked about, including the interest that you're, you're, uh, you're carrying on these pieces of equipment as well as maintenance and licensing so that you actually really truly see the carrying costs every month. And that might light a fire under your butt to get some revenue attached to that piece of equipment and or maybe let go of it, right? Doesn't we didn't even talk about letting go of equipment, but sometimes that needs to happen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I know that well. <laughs> I've seen it in a few models too. I've seen it in a few <laughs> models too. All right, this is it for segment two. Uh, please join us for our next segment um, where we actually start talking about uh, return on investment on your, uh, on your equipment. And Dustin's going to share with us his perspective as a, uh, a lender and a financier in this space to let us know what he and um, his colleagues would be looking for if you're ever looking for money to buy new equipment. So as always, thanks for watching. Uh, don't forget to download your tools and templates down below and we'll see you back here for episode
Hey everybody, welcome back founders. We're here for segment three, which is all about return on investment on the equipment that you currently have in your business. We are uh, still joined here with Dustin. Dustin hasn't left, so thanks for, for staying the course here, Dustin. Please to stay, Tanya. Uh, um, so this is where your superpower comes in. I loved in the, um, uh, in the questionnaire, uh, you listed your superpower as making more money. And this is really about it's, you know, making your, your hard-earned dollars make money for you. And I think this is where your superpower definitely probably shines here in return on the, uh, the investment that founders have in their equipment. So let's, let's just take it way back and, and let's just start with taking a look at your role as a lender when someone's actually considering this idea that they want a new piece of equipment, what does that typically look like for you as a, as a lender? It, it, you know, it's a, a bit of a framework, but we, we call it in the industry, the three C's of credit, if you will. So it breaks it down between uh, what we call character, uh, capacity and collateral. Uh, collateral, especially being an asset-based lending yeah. <laughs> um, company. But um, each of those three play a, an equally important part in our decision-making process and what a company's borrowing capacity is and how much money we should lend to them versus um, you know, how long they've been in the industry and how well they've paid previously, that kind of stuff. Uh, the criteria within each three of them are simple. You know, character represents uh, the company and the individual that represents that company and the character behind them. So their, their past paid performance, their credit bureau uh, history, that kind of stuff gives a good indication to us on how well, you know, they will be able to perform for us if we lend them money. Uh, Can I ask you a quick question on that? Sure. Are you looking at, um, do you look at both the, the business credit and the personal credit or do you go right to business credit on that? We start with the business credit. We try to lead with, uh, you know, lending. Our, our model, anyway, within our own group, is uh, the lending sh should try to be based off of the the strength and the power of the corporation. Um, if it's not there for whatever reason, then we fall back to looking at, you know, the personal credit as okay. support. Okay, gotcha. So, uh, so, and how do you measure the, the character? The character, this is where you're talking about just the payment history and, and the past suppliers and vendors or, or um, loans that they have? What does well, that that's, mean? Yeah, like that's, that's the digital information that we have access to, right? So, um, you know, what they have done in the past gets reported one way or another, so we can see that. And it, it helps give us an indication on what it could look like in the future, for instance. Uh, the other way is obviously, you know, and this is how we, we come to our customers, so, or we go to our customers. So the face-to-face -face and getting to know people in the long term, building long-term relationships on the ground, understanding the work that they're doing, um, getting to know some of their customers and the feedback that, that they're giving uh, in response to how well uh, an entrepreneur performs on the job, stuff like that. That kind of all plays into the overall character piece. Okay, gotcha. And so um, in your role, um, I actually just got off the phone with a, uh, an equity uh, lender who right. was talking about how oftentimes they're getting the call for money 
um, when the business is desperate, right? They're like, oh, I guys, you know, they're trying to put out a fire and they're like, oh, we need to fix things. Do you see that oftentimes with equipment, people looking for equipment, that it's, it's out of desperation or again, this, I want something new that they're coming to you with, with, uh, with, you know, blazing fires that they need to put out? Yeah, you know, I would say unfortunately more times uh, or more often than not, um, we see those scenarios and the power of equipment is it often carries residual value to it or equity value to it. So it can be utilized as a good piece to generate or leverage uh, money from. So um, we do a, a lot of business in that refinance and consolidation space where we're stepping into a company we're taking either some free and clear equipment or we're taking out other lenders and packaging it together to create a scenario where we're either lowering monthly payments for them or injecting new capital to the company so that they can go out and either make another purchase or you know put the money into hiring more people or something like that. So yeah, it, it's, um, I mean, a fire's maybe not the right word all the time, but it's, it's more reactive than it is proactive. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I chuckle because I, I know a story where a fire actually <laughs> literally, literally took place, but I, you know, I think this is, um, this is a part of the, uh, the, the tremendous value that you bring to your clients is because I suspect, or at least it, with the business owners that, that I have worked with, they have a solution in mind. They think, oh, I just need to go get this. I need to go buy this. And what I love about the process that you implement is you just kind of stop, wait, let's question everything that we already have. Like, let's take a look at all of your existing equipment. So, you know, to the point in the first episode, you know, what is the capacity? What is the utilization? What is the useful life? And then you've brought up here another element, which is refinancing, right? We didn't even talk about that based on right. the current inventory that they have, which is really about what this segment is all about, return on investment and about building the bottom line and recognizing that the solution that you might think is what's going to fix all the problems but getting really smart with what you already have and then starting to layer on that efficiency, right? Absolutely. And so again, this is the work that I've seen you do firsthand where it's about before you start putting band-aids on things, let's just see what you have right now. Let's make sure we're really smart with what we have right now. And then let's start to, to, to look for ways that we can start to, to grow um, on what you have right now. So what do you look for outside of the, 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 the character and capacity and that piece of, of collateral um, specifically as a lender, what, what else are you looking for as they start to acquire new pieces of equipment when it comes to return on investment or what have you seen in some of the, the biggest issues that, um, that, that curb tail or that uh, tend to impact the bottom line in a negative way for a business owner? We, we tend to try to educate ourselves as much as we can about the industries that they're working in as well. So um, we, we, for instance, if it's a trucking company that's looking to buy a, a truck or a, a trailer, you know, what part of that industry are they going to be using it in? Um, because as we've seen, unfortunately, with COVID in the last 12 months, certain segments of industry have been impacted more than others. And 
that also, you know, it will impact the company's ability to repay or the company's ability to keep that equipment working. And um, we want to be up on that trend as much as we can be. The other thing is the uh, ability to have that equipment um, utilized elsewhere. Like, can it be shifted from one industry to another or one industry segment to another fairly easily? So, um, in the event that a, a, an entrepreneur or founder finds themselves in a position where the work is dried up all of a sudden, could they take that truck or that trailer and move it over somewhere else and maybe start generating some revenue with it sooner rather than later? Okay, smart. Uh, and have you seen a lot of these founders kind of jump industries? Is that what you're referring to? Like just Absolutely. find a way to pivot and, and support a different industry so that you can continue to bring the revenue in? Yeah, I've, I've seen it numerous times over the years. You know, the forestry industry is a, a good example of that when commodity prices are high and mills are doing well and the volume of wood that's going in is, is good. You know, the uh, trucking companies in the forestry industry tend to stay there. But when that dies off, you know, I've seen their trucks repurposed to haul flatbed trailers to haul goods and ser goods across mm -hmm. the country or Western Canada, mm -hmm. something like that. So I, I've seen companies and entrepreneurs jump from forestry into transportation or from construction into transportation back and forth uh, numerous times as, as the economies and the cycles change. Yeah, super smart, right? I think especially now, like we're talking about through COVID, finding ways to, to show up powerfully um, so that you're, you, know, you keep your revenue strong and you're not waiting for business to come from, for you, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's, you know, if you think of like your own personal investments, it's almost a form of diversification in a way, right? Like they're, you don't, you're not hedging your bet all in one, you're, you're spreading it out a little bit. Absolutely. And so let's talk a little bit about cash flow, because I know this is a, a pain point um, for a lot of founders when they're sitting on a big piece of equipment. I think especially in, um, you know, some industries that are notorious for, you know, 90, 120 day turnaround and you've devoted that piece of equipment and you're not going to see uh, cash flow from it for a while um, and or it's just sitting idle as you as you talked about. So what are some of the flags that you see or, or uh, what are some of the issues that you see coming up there for founders and how do you get around that? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the quick reference for us is obviously looking at their numbers, right? So the financial statements and stuff that they're presenting. So, I mean, the biggest flag is if we're seeing drop in revenue year over year, then, you know, we're starting to question, you know, what's driving that, uh, especially if they're coming to us and they're asking to borrow money for new equipment. You know, that's when we start to go back into the previous episodes that we were talking about the, we go back into the utilization of their existing fleets. So, you know, it, is it a, a shakeup that we need to do, like get rid of some old equipment or some pieces that are not being utilized anymore and then bring in this new piece to, to change the dynamic of the money that's being made? Or um, is it just uh, an inherent industry issue, like you just caught it in, the, in a bad time and the work isn't there and now we got to look at an alternative kind of solution. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, cash flow is, is the number one financial lending metric uh, if you are chasing cheap borrowing costs, like the lowest cost of capital that you could obtain, you know, from like the Schedule A banks or something like that, that would be the number one metric that they're looking at is does the company have the ability to cash flow the debt? 
Beautiful. So, yeah, I think this this kind of brings us full circle with this conversation because I, you know, it's um, top line is definitely key, right? And when we're seeing that top line revenue and that cash flow come in, we know that there's a, a desire, a demand, an appetite for the right. product or service that you're offering. I think for those founders that are struggling right now, you know, find ways to pivot because there's definitely demands in other sectors. Um, so there's certainly ways that you can go out and and, uh, and and find additional sources of revenue, but you do need to get off your butt and, and make that happen. Um, but, you know, I think Dustin and our work together, you know that, you know, one of my pain points for founders is that all they do is go after top line revenue and then at the end of the year, they're in a deficit position with their net profit. They've just, you know, it's, they see it four months after year end, after they get the, the notice to the notice to readers from the accountants. And so what I love that you've shared here, Dustin, is that, um, you know, all of these things from the utilization of each piece of equipment, figuring that out, the, 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 the life span, right? The, the use, the, the, usage of what do we call that Dustin was the language around that useful life useful life yeah how long is that equipment actually gonna be on the ground working <laughs> and I imagine resale value all of that factors in right but it's it's always these small little details all of the costs attached to each piece of equipment you bring up a really good point about down time and planning for that so the real toggle here is yes go out generate top line revenue but really nuance and understand all of those inputs from the carrying costs to the you know to the the maintenance and and the interest rates um and piecing that together so that you can ensure that there is a bottom line return there um i don't want to put you on the spot here i'm curious in and so if you can't answer this don't worry about it but in your experience those let's just say best in sector let's not go after small business but those big businesses that you work with the ones that have the cfos and the coos and the cios right what kind of bottom line do they typically look at in a, in a trucking industry let's take trucking to start with but you know on average what would they be looking at as a healthy bottom line that they're they're trying to drive you know the, the trucking industry is it's it's a lower margin business it's very competitive and, and of course there's segments within that right i'm talking about like ltl which is you know less than load or general freight um okay. businesses that is a high competition rate so it drives the margins down for whatever reason but I would say the best in class companies in that space are probably looking at a 10 to 15% bottom line. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. I think that's a great goal to strive for. I, you know, I, I think many businesses right now are, are uh, they were happy to make two. I think if businesses are breaking even right now, but again, you yeah, having that benchmark to, to kind of work for and work towards is, uh, is powerful. I love to say a 10% work towards it. So the fact that you've been seeing that is, uh, is, um, is good to know and uh, gives us hope out there that other businesses can strive yeah, for that absolutely. goal as well. Yeah. All right. Any, um, anything that we didn't cover, any questions that I didn't ask you that you'd like to, that you'd like to weigh in on, or did we cover everything that you felt is really important for business owners to know? We've covered a lot of ground in the we last six months for sure. We did. No, I, I grew up in a heavy construction forestry background. My father had a company and operated heavy equipment. So like I, it's, it's near to the heart for me, but um, I, 
I saw him when he struggled and when he did well. And, you know, the, the biggest thing I have found is the emotional connection that founders have with their equipment can often derail them from being able to make smarter decisions about increasing their bottom line. And what I mean by that is th there's an attachment to the equipment because for, well, as, as young boys, we love it. And then two, um, you know, they feel strong about it because it's what's put the food on the table for them over the last how many years, right? Yeah. But what often that creates is a, a bit of a paradigm where they hang on to it longer than they should. They, they don't evaluate what the, to your point, the ancillary costs associated to carrying it is, and it, it can erode that bottom line. And, you know, let's face it, we're, you're in business to make money and to make money, you need to increase that bottom line, right? Yeah. You, Music to I think the feedback I would give is like, treat it like it is an investment, an investment in yourself and in your company. And you got to objectively look at it sometimes like, Sometimes the equipment's not worth buying. Sometimes the equipment is worth selling rather than hanging on to it. And then sometimes the equipment is worth leveraging and borrowing off of it so that you can create the capital that you need to put it back in the company and make the money that you know you can. Yeah. Well, I think I get, yeah, your, your um, music to my ears because, you know, a big piece of what we're looking to, uh, to do here with Nail the Numbers is get business owners thinking like CEOs and like investors and you, you know, you nailed it. You're not in business if you're not making money and that money is the right. bottom line, right? It's yes. Top line is important, but that bottom line piece. So, yeah. you know, and as you were speaking, I was thinking of, you know, generations of farmers and agriculture. We didn't even talk about agriculture equipment, but the equipment that they sit on, right. That they feel that they need, and then they're only using it for, for X percent of the, the year. And yeah, just such a volatile market there, right. You never know what your yields are going to be and what's, you know, all the, uh, the, the external, um, considerations there, but um, you nailed it. I think it's about really just doing the math, doing all of the numbers, calculating to the best of your ability to mitigate the risk. That's all you can do is, is mitigate to the best of your ability. Yeah. Yeah, that is, you're right. And that's what we try to help business owners understand. So we're not just lending the money. We're sitting down with them and we're, I love it. Give them a piece of advice. That's huge. That's so valuable. And so, Dustin, again, I've seen you. Uh, I've seen your work in action. I, I have witnessed what it is that you can do for business owners. Again, it's not really about. Um, it's not about that interest rate. It's about the value that you get from the lenders that you work with, so that you can see the full picture. Because you might not need that piece of equipment. It might be about doing something a little differently with what you already have. So, Destin, I'm putting your information into the show notes, and um, I believe you're open to, to any any inquiries that that come out of this uh, out of this episode. And I encourage all of you to reach out to Destin. Um, again, just a, a wealth of experience and knowledge and expertise, and I, he might have solutions for you that you've never even thought of. Right? It might not be about that new piece of equipment. It might just be about doing something differently. So. Thank you, Dustin, for your time. So yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. And um, yeah, tune in for um, later this month. Actually, we have an episode with Myers Norris Penny that's talking all about debt and um, equipment and how that equipment might be costing you um, and costing your credit report too. Was sitting on all of that equipment, and so potentially some ways to deal with that. So thank you for watching, download the tools, catch our next episode releasing next week. And um, as 
always, stay safe out there, stay strong, and stay financially fierce. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon. Bye for now.